0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today
1: with Byte. This is Carpe Consensus. Join hosts Ben Schiller,
2: Danny Nelson, and Cam Thompson as they seize the world of crypto.
3: Hello and welcome to the Carpe Consensus podcast. This is a podcast from the Coindesk Podcast Network and welcome to the show. I'm Ben Schiller. I'm the features editor here at Coindesk. Cam Thompson, you are also here.
1: Hey, how's it going?
3: Good, good, good. And Danny Nelson is also here and whereabouts,
2: Danny? Uh, Yes, I, like all of us, are here. Unlike all the people we try to reach out to, we are not on summer vacation. So there we are. Those damn people
3: who won't come on our show because it's summer. Karen, what have you been up to? Have you been checking out the uh, Threads phenomenon?
1: Yeah. So when Threads released about a week ago, actually, I think it was last Wednesday, I saw a lot of people posting about it on Twitter, also on Instagram, sharing that they joined Threads. So naturally, I joined because I like to be earlier on social media applications, you know, just to test it out.
2: You're so ahead of trend there. Yeah. what, What number user were you?
1: Actually, I can tell you right now. Okay. I am number 4,683,687 to join Threads. So I'm not that early. I'm just putting that out there. I thought I was early. I've seen people in the tens of millions. So um, (laughs) it's a little bit of a flex. But anyways, I find it interesting because I'm on Instagram. I have been for over 10 years. I have people on there who follow me from middle school. Random college friends, random people you know, I met on nights out in the city. I just get their Instagram you know in random random circumstances. It just happens. people just follow each other, and then I go to threads and I post something about n f t s and no one likes it, no one cares about it and I have random people following me on there from years ago or people I just met a month ago. you know it's a very strange assortment of people, and I think a lot of people are running into this problem, you know, curating their followings on threads is very strange when you have and Instagram in sort of a personal presence or just sharing photos of your life. And then all of a sudden, you're expected to pivot to this platform where you have people following you from the Web3 space who totally might not vibe with the content you want to post. Or on the other hand, your followers might not vibe at all with what you're trying to post. So
2: in a weird way, Threads is sort of you're taking your Twitter mindset and you're bringing it to Threads, which is basically Instagram, but text posts only. And full of all your just, I met you during the course of life people, not the work people. So now they're all realizing that you're into NFTs and they're like, oh, no, what have I done? Exactly, You're one of those people. One of those people.
1: Among my friends in college, I was the token crypto friend. But it's funny, I saw a post from a fellow journalist who covers crypto, who spoke about how she keeps her Instagram private but joining threads. Now she's kind of going into it with a Twitter mindset and she feels weird about it. So I think a lot of people are having the same thoughts. I don't know. Have you guys joined threads?
2: I find that I need less social media in my life. And so no, I have not joined threads.
1: Fascinating.
2: I tried it out, but I instantly regretted it. So uh, I think I agree with Danny. I do have blue sky though. That was more for the memes than anything. I I can't escape Twitter. like. Twitter is the dumpster fire that one loves to hate. I can't get away from it, I can't cut it out. I don't think that Threads is going to replace Twitter. Uh, I kind of hope it does just to stick it to Elon, but we'll see what happens.
3: All right, thanks guys. Let's get to the show then, the show proper that is. And we've got a special guest today, that's Jeff Wilzer. He's one of our feature writers and he's going to be talking about the AI crypto trading bot revolution which is giving some traders an edge, at least for now. Uh, He's going to come on the show to discuss that piece. And then we're going to go into Danny's Dungeon, that's Danny Nelson's segment, and also to Cam's Corner, which is Cameron's segment. So we've got a packed show as usual, and let's get to it. All right, so we have a very special guest now. That is Jeff Willser joining us all the way from Denver, Colorado. Hi, Jeff.
0: Hello, very special. I'm honored. Great to be here. Thanks,
3: Ben. You are very very special. Oh, he says that about all our guests. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs)
3: Well, I don't mean it about all the guests, but I do actually mean it about Jeff Wills. He's a good colleague, good friend, and very good writer. And we're going to talk about one of your recent pieces, Jeff. So this is looking at the chatbot revolution as applied to crypto, crypto trading. And it seems like a lot of the trading that we see today that is done manually is going to be automated in the future. Uh, Do you want to just tell us about this?
0: Sure. I think it's kind of inevitable that AI will eventually play more and more of a role. And it's a little bit unclear to what extent it's already kind of flooding the trading landscape. But one thing that traders do, especially kind of 24-7 crypto scalper traders, is they're trying to like use pattern recognition, right? To like look at charts, obsess and nerd out over charts and buy and sell based on certain indicators. And I've tried this myself over the years. Now with crypto, with stocks, but same principles. It's really hard, right? The bottom line is most day traders who try and like move in and out, they fail in the long run. It's really hard to do. And the idea is that AI, especially now with advancements recently, will get better and better and better at pattern recognition and will have a better ability than humans do to sniff out the right patterns to trade in. And there are already kind of these chatbots trying to do these things. How effective they are, hard to know exactly yet, but given how effective we've seen AI pattern recognition to be in general, it stands to reason they will eventually get at least as good as humans and kind of like a potentially snuff out whatever edge humans have at the moment.
3: So you spoke to a range of traders, both retail and more institutional, and they seem to agree that there was going to be an edge, but maybe that edge wouldn't last forever because uh, as technology goes mainstream, everyone will have that edge, so the edge won't be an edge anymore.
0: Right. Think of it like any kind of military game theory or advancement in tech, right? You have bow and arrow versus bow and arrow. Whoever first brings gunpowder will win the war, right? And so as things escalate, we get more and more Gunpowder, then cannons, then nuclear bombs, eventually. (laughs) How far can
3: you stretch this metaphor?
0: Exactly. Not to get too dark here. Um, But it's hard to see how, you know, there's a first mover advantage, right? And then eventually it's hard to see how that edge will last. But again, this is just speculative here, but it's possible that the winners will be those who are just able to harness and invest in the most... AI power, right? Whoever's able to refine and develop and kind of uh, tweak and optimize certain AI engines, those might be the winners. And again, even at baseline, even before AI came onto the scene, it's really, I can't stress this enough, it's really freaking hard to make money in these little, like, consistently in these little, like, you know, buy now, sell now, short now, leverage, 5X. Like, you might have the occasional trades that win, but long-term, it's tough. Once people are able to do this really effectively with AI, the idea of humans doing that without AI going against this army of AI bots, that's a tall order. And, and one more thing, it, in a sense, it's not that new in the sense that there have already been kind of algorithms and quants trading for years, right? I mean, like uh, over a decade, two decades ago on Wall Street, the uh, high frequency trading entered the game and made it much harder for the average, quote, retail trader to eke out any profits. So traders have kind of faced an uphill battle, and it's gotten steeper and steeper over the years. And now it's getting potentially even steeper still with AI.
3: Does this mean that trading is going to become less fun? I mean, uh, one of the things that's characterized crypto is the kind of idiocy of the market, the way in which people kind of seemingly wake up in the morning and they say, oh, I like the color of that coin. I'm going to buy 10,000 of it. Isn't it going to take some of that kind of serendipity, some of that fun out of it?
0: I mean, people seem to have fun losing money. So <laughs> it's it's. I can see at least in the short term, my personal prediction is that this will not be a black and white overnight thing. I think that gradually AI will continue to make progress in the trading game in ways we don't even really understand how yet. The, the, the fun might be seeped out by just gradually seeing your winning percentage decline over time. But I still think, honestly, frankly, for the trading psychology, I think there will still be the occasional winning bet, right? I mean, so many people think of crypto trading like a casino. And we all know the house always wins in Vegas. People still love losing money in Vegas. And there will still be the occasional winners in Vegas and the occasional winners in trading. It's just long-term, probably harder to make a consistent profit, but I bet there will still be, be room for those YOLO trades and crypto. And look at that, cool new coin, cool new meme coin. That's probably still gonna exist. So I think the people who are kind of amateurs who just love throwing in some money here and there, to, why not? That'll still be around, is my guess. But the people who are trying to consistently make a living, like nerding out at charts all day long and living and breathing this stuff, I think that is way harder and harder and harder as AI gets more prominent.
2: Now, Jeff, people already use, as you point out, algorithmic trading to make money. So they're already already using computers to decide when to buy and sell. And people use algorithmic trading because they know what the formula is. They know that it will perform these buys and these sells under certain conditions. With AI, we don't always know why it comes to the decisions that it comes to we just sort of have created a thing that's self-teaching and it gets there however it does. Why should people, or why will people, start to put money into these systems if they don't actually know what it's going to be doing?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I look at it like the the chess metaphor, right? There's uh, AI chess masters have been built that now beat humans and beat other even machine chess masters Using techniques and strategies, humans don't understand, right? Like to your point, Danny, these chess AI demigods figured out new concepts foreign to us. Similarly, I imagine that over time, as these AI, you call them bots, you can call them machines, whatever you want. They will probably figure out and intuit strategies haven't even occurred to us. And to your question of why should we trust that? I would think we shouldn't until the results say we should, right? So the results will speak for themselves. Eventually, if you have just cold, clean math of these AI portfolios are 3Xing organic meat fleshy people like us portfolios, I imagine that savvy investors will just divert their money to where the return's coming from. That's my speculation. If the results dictate That they're outperforming, then the money will go there eventually.
1: So, like Danny, you just mentioned, and Jeff, you talked about earlier about some of the algorithms that are already in place and how there is a lot to learn in order to enter these fields. You know, to become a trader on Wall Street takes so many years, there's a large learning curve. And in a way, I'm curious how you see AI impacting that learning curve. You know, you did talk about how it will be a little bit more difficult for the average retail trader to enter and be able to make the same profit. But I'm curious, you know, how you see the greater industry shifting in terms of, you know, people being able to enter that role or how you see kind of that balance shifting and, you know, what it's going to take for people to actually land those jobs now.
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I, I kind of see it as maybe three tiers here. I'm kind of making this up on the fly, but bear with me. I think tier one will be the true rookie Kind of casual amateur, I don't want to make some money on crypto trader. And for them, they might be a little seduced by these AI bots that have the siren song of, hey, learn almost nothing and we will be able to figure out for you when to buy and sell, right? And as uh, Danny mentioned, those have been around for a while, but in theory, those are kind of juiced up with the kind of secret sauce of AI, right? And I can see that, frankly, going either way. I think those could be potentially sketch, and they're, they're probably mix, a mixed bag, right? You might have some legit ones. You am sure you have some sketchy ones that are just there to kind of sucker folks in to just YOLO on a bit of a rug, uh, crypto AI bot version of a rug pull, right? So I think, and some serious traders I spoke to have expressed that, geez, there's a danger in leaning on AI bots as a crutch, as opposed to learning the game yourself, as opposed to learning the principles, as opposed to understanding the fundamentals of price analysis, of market dynamics, of typical kind of price patterns. If you just blindly follow the AI, that might be a poor move in the long term. So on the tier one, I see it being maybe a bit of fool's gold for kind of newbie traders, or maybe it could be a shortcut. Time will tell. Tier two, I think, would be the retail traders who truly invest the time to leverage AI um, in a sophisticated way to kind of gain an edge, right? And I think you don't have to work at some trillion-dollar hedge fund to do that. I'm sure, I've spoken to some already, there are devs and coders out there who are being very savvy about, okay, how to take um, their algorithm bots that have existed for years and Supercharge them with AI. And I'd imagine that those people will have an edge over the kind of uh, ocean of amateurs out there. And tier three are the blue chip big money firms that I'm sure will be, and we know have already started using AI in a far more sophisticated way, right? So just as Wall Street embraced quant computing or or, uh, quant trading, microtransaction trading years ago. There's no question that the heavy hitters will be uh, leveraging. And I'm sure, as we speak, there is a just a small platoon or a large platoon of programmers furiously clacking away, trying to get AI to make them billions right now. And I think that as that gets more and more sophisticated, it will be really tough for the little guys to keep pace.
1: Another follow-up question I have for you as well. You know, you're talking about Wall Street embracing these technologies and starting to kind of hop on this train. I mean, you know. We obviously have seen Wall Street act very traditional and even their acceptance of Bitcoin or other types of, you know, Bitcoin adjacent assets or other cryptocurrencies has been very slow. And as we're seeing it a little bit more and more, you know, I guess maybe there's a little bit more adoption. How do you see AI playing into that?
0: It's a, it's an interesting question. And this is mostly speculation on my part. I didn't I haven't I don't have any inside knowledge on what the biggest Wall Street firms are doing, but my Sense is that the difference between their stance and posture with regard to Bitcoin and crypto assets versus how they might engage with AI. You know, one difference obviously is regulatory uncertainty, right? Like the whole question of what they are allowed or not allowed to engage in. We all know that's looming large of a crypto space. AI, to my knowledge, is just a mathematical tool at this point, right? So I think there's legal reasons, they can be a little more uh, dabbling than they could with crypto. Also, I think that they would see this as just AI as being a logical tool, right? Whereas this is not a value judgment, but just the, I think for years, a lot of folks have asked the question for cryptocurrency, okay, what, again, pardon the, this is a, the the layperson normie question we always get is what's the point, right? Um, So I think there's that question that so many traditional finance folks have had for years. With AI, you can see instantly the results, right? I mean, look at a bit of an analogy here, but look at, I mean, in chat GPT, the first few months, there's a reason why millions were signing up right away. They can, oh my God, this is cool. I can see it doing things. So I think, again, results are what matter on Wall Street. And if there are firms that if they can see, okay, wow, with this AI tool, we can chew through mountains and mountains of data faster than humans could, and we can therefore make quicker decisions, if that's a new tool in their toolkit that'll make them money, why wouldn't they do it?
3: All right. Thanks very much, Jeff. Insightful as usual. And uh, that's Jeff Wilzer. He's our lead feature writer, and you can read his writings on AI and crypto and many other interesting topics.
0: Thanks very much, Jeff. Great to be here. Thanks again.
2: a stormy night in the wintertime. You're looking about, thinking, why is it the wintertime? I thought it was July. It is July, but somehow you went down to the south, to Patagonia, Chile. You're stumbling around through the darkness of this winter-summer night, trying to find what's going on. You have no idea. You see a light. You, you, you move slowly, creeping toward the light. You grab onto it, thinking, maybe this will provide me some way out. You look closer, and you realize, it's just more tokens. That's right. Here on the show this week, we're going to be talking about more tokens, the newest, latest, greatest tokens that projects don't need, according to Danny Nelson, the expert on these things. So, Arkham Intelligence, which is a data intelligence product that helps people look at wallets and understand who owns the wallets and and all the different entities in crypto, has just launched this new bounty program whereby people can post wallet addresses that they want to know the identities of. And then other people can offer bids and try to win the contract and dox those wallets. So it's basically a marketplace for wallet labeling, which is the thing that Arkham does in the first place. Now, that's all well and good, and I understand why people would want that. Hell, I might even want it. But what I don't get is why there has to be a token, because in conjunction with this product, Arkham's also launching a token, a token that will be sold 5% to retail and 20% to contributors, and then a little bit of everything else to everyone else. So guys, I want to hear from you. What do you think about these tokens? I don't know what this token will do, but I'm just thinking already, is this necessary? And I can't help but deciding that it isn't. Sounds like a great idea to me. If you want people to participate in your bounty network, don't you need to issue something to incentivize them? Well, you can just People will be paying other people for the bounties in presumably USDC, right? So it's like a contract. So you don't need a native token to do that. You can just use Ether or uh, Stablecoin as the payment mechanism.
3: You're so boring, Danny. I mean, we, every, everything needs its own token. That's how we, uh, that's how we roll in crypto. Uh,
2: I don't know. I don't know.
1: I mean, it's a good point. You know, you can't think of this as just some perfectly decentralized world where people are going to create these protocols to solve some type of public good or some type of problem that can't be solved any other way, quote unquote, cannot be solved any other way. It has to be done through crypto or Web3. That being said, a lot of people are so eager to launch these tokens thinking people will buy them because there's some incentive to make some type of investment, have some type of return in the future. Meanwhile, Danny, I think you said it best. If you can't decipher what this token does, or what the point of it is, then I think you've answered your question. I don't see it as necessary. I agree with you.
2: Well, the only thing that really I've answered here is that I can't read or that I may, maybe won't read because I haven't yet read the white paper for this token. But you know what? I don't oh, think I need okay. to. Okay. Oh, as if you have, okay, right? So like that's Yeah, be, of course. I, I read then.
1: it this morning. Six AM. Mm-hmm. I read it. Yeah. It
2: didn't even <laughs> it wasn't even public till 10 a.m., sorry. But no, so the, the point I'm making here is if you're a crypto protocol, uh, or no, let's get rid of the word protocol. If you're a crypto anything and you have a service that makes sense, like a marketplace where people can pay other people to do a thing, okay, well, that's a business model. You don't need a token to go along with it. You know what a token brings? It brings pain down the road, it brings lawsuits, it brings litigation, it brings a whole bunch of uncertainty. I'm just thinking, let's just have a useful service and let that be on its own uh, the thing. Let's not have some weird little side Ponzi project that people can get some amount of and hope that it goes up. But really, it doesn't. Who knows?
3: Just more, I mean, more seriously, I think, are these blockchain intelligence companies like Arkham, uh, also Chainalysis and others, killing the anonymity that we know and love on the blockchain? It seems like they're getting more and more sort of granular into the underpinnings of these networks. And
2: uh, you can't trade freely and privately anymore. Well, you can and you can't, right? It's all about these things aren't free. Freedom ain't free, and neither is anonymity. Just because the inherent aspects of blockchain technology allow for people to anonymously move money around, well, that's only true as long as the people actually take the steps to keep themselves anonymous. As soon as you're using platforms that harvest your information through KYC or other processes, or buying an ENS, an Ethereum name service address, or doing other things that identify who you are, you're basically telling the world who you are. And then if people go and put those little Lego bricks together and figure out who you are, well, they did that because of the breadcrumbs that you left. So I don't think of these services as so much doxing as just allowing people to put together the pieces of the puzzle that are already there. So you need to work for your privacy. It's not free.
3: I think that's fair. But um, there's a quote in this story, our our news story about this venture, and it comes from a tweet from the Arkham account. And it says, We believe that de anonymization is the destiny of crypto markets, which sounds fine, but this is kind of an anathema to the original vision of Bitcoin, right? That was about anonymity. So it does feel like some kind of milestone in a retreat from the Bitcoin vision.
2: Yeah, I would agree with you. It is. And I think it's reflective of the fact that. Unfortunately, I would say, most of the crypto world these days doesn't care about the ethos and the philosophies from the earlier days, right? Peer-to-peer electronic cash, that's out the window. Now we just have tokens that we trade to have bounty programs on Arkham or whatever. So it doesn't stand as so strange to me that anonymity is not held up as this paragon of what has to be.
3: You're making me sad, Danny, and uh, I was in a good mood today before you
2: started on this, so thanks a lot. I'm so sorry. I only speak the truth
1: <laughs> okay shall we shall we get into this? What's Justin Bieber's most popular song i don't I don't want to like I, don't know. I can't sing
2: you you did this to yourself. I think you have to sing.
1: I have to sing actually,
2: you can't sing because then we have to pay a royalty and we have no money to pay a royalty with. She can sing on air.
1: I can sing. Okay. No, like
2: we don't have the money for the rules. You can't do it. (laughs) It's free speech, man. (laughs) Welcome to Copyright Law at Carpet Consensus.
1: Okay. Baby, baby, baby. Oh, we got another NFT story for you today. This time we're talking about the Biebs, JB, Justin, if you will. Although I don't know if all my co-hosts agree with that. I think he's the most popular Justin. I mean,
2: he's not even the most popular Justin in Canada. Okay.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, obviously. Canadian pop star Justin Bieber has been in NFT news recently because of a purchase he made two years ago. In January 2022, he purchased a bored ape for $1.3 million. And today, that exact board ape is valued at about $60,000. So (laughs) huge loss. But this isn't really about Justin's ape. This isn't really about the whole idea of people buying apes and losing money. I mean, everyone is losing money on their apes. It's really about how these NFTs are valued and kind of starts a conversation around how we decide which of these apes have, you know, higher rarity traits or have different types of exclusivity or, you know, the artwork associated with them makes them more expensive. I mean, I think that obviously there was a lot of conversation around Justin's Ape, but it opened up a greater conversation around how we choose to value these assets.
3: So Cam, how did that piece come together?
1: So, you know, in writing the story, I wrote it alongside my editor Rosie Purper. We looked at some of the other celebrity NFT investments. And for example, Steve Aoki purchased an Ape a couple years ago, and it's a very rare Ape. Now, that token has not nearly gone down in value as much as Justin's has. However, Justin's Ape, the specific token that he bought, it doesn't have any prominent rarity traits. It's valued at the floor price, which this is important to note. The floor price of the Bored Ape Yacht Club NFT collection fell to 30 ETH. Last week, which is a 20-month low for this very popular NFT project, but it doesn't mean all NFTs in the collection are affected. So, at first, we were thinking, is Justin Bieber's NFT really worth sixty thousand? Is that just because someone conflated the value of the token with the floor price? But really, it is just at the floor because it's not rare. So, we spoke to several NFT value experts, people who are very accustomed to appraising these tokens, and. It's really interesting when you think about how you assign value to these monkey pictures. I mean, what do you guys think?
3: So, Cam, I thought it was really interesting. Uh, David Morris, who's our columnist here at CoinDesk, had a piece about this last week, uh, and he was indulging in a little bit of uh, schadenfreude, I suppose, at the expense of these investors who got in at these vastly inflated prices. And he gave us four lessons from the rise and fall of bored apes, and they are. I should just give the headlines here. Pride cometh before a fall. I think that's obvious. Aggressive marketing is a red flag. It could be true, true of many things, maybe. Don't leverage speculative assets. That could be a watchword for the whole of crypto. And lastly, if you're not first, you're last. What do you think about that, Cam?
1: I mean, I think it's interesting. For Justin Bieber... 1.3 1.3 million, obviously it's a lot of money, but it's probably not in the grand scheme of his entire state, right? But I think that the speed at which people enter these collections and are adopters and actually engage with them really does have some type of impact on how much we look at this. For example, with Steve Aoki, he's been very involved in the metaverse, you know, creating his own NFT Web3 initiatives himself. You know, he's also a very avid NFT collector, has been very vocal about that. I mean, I could be wrong, but I've personally, the only time I ever can pinpoint when Justin Bieber made himself a known NFT collector was when he posted a picture of the ape that he originally purchased. But he didn't even say he purchased it. He just posted a photo of it. Like whether or not people are actively involved in Web3 communities and NFT projects or they just purchase in for hype, you know, it really does tell you how involved they are in the space and the value at which they will pay attention. You know, if Justin just bought a floor price ape, he probably just did it to get in and just have some some association with this popular collection, which at the time, a lot of other celebrities were buying into. So I understand that, but it is interesting.
2: Well, does the collectible only retain its value if its high profile owners actively promote it? Because then it's kind of like, is it, a, is it really a collectible at that point? Or is it just some sort of weird club that I mean it is a weird club, right? But it it should probably retain its value even without the presumption that the owners will actively promote it. Like if I'm an art collector and I get a Picasso, I no one expects me to just talk about my Picasso all day long because if I did that would be really annoying, right? Maybe I'll share once that I bought it, but I don't want to always be talking about it. However, I I would if I did own a Picasso, I would I would talk about it all the time.
1: Totally. I mean, you should. It's a Picasso. I think that's a great question and a great point. So in writing the story, I spoke with Nikolai Yakovenko, who's the founder and CEO of Deep NFT Value, which is a tool that analyzes and assigns value, essentially appraises NFTs. And in speaking with him, I asked him specifically if past ownership plays into the value of an NFT. And he said that they don't look at that. They don't look at whether or not Justin Bieber owned it, whether or not Steve Aoki, Tom Brady, Mark Cuban, several other celebrities that own Bored Apes, that doesn't play into its value when it's being sold. Now, someone might bid more for the NFT having that knowledge and having the understanding that they are getting to purchase, they're getting to interact with the celebrity's wallet in the process of doing so, which I think to some people is a selling point. That being said, it doesn't really impact the value. I mean, if you look at Justin Bieber's Ape, it's it's not... Going up, it's still at the floor. Doesn't matter if average Joe over here or Justin Bieber owned the ape, I mean it's still 30 ETH.
2: Well, right. it's said to be 30 ETH, right? But it isn't actually worth 30 ETH because no one's bought it. So we don't we don't know what its true value is. We know what its projected value is. Oh, you're so
3: technical, Danny.
2: Like if I I, I feel like Providence here is critical. If it look at it through what are you gonna tell your grandkids? Are you going to tell your grandkids that you bought the super rare ape that had the laser eyes or you bought the ape that Justin Bieber had? It'd be so much cooler to tell them that you bought the ape that Justin Bieber had as opposed to the laser eyes. That's just... That's just my opinion on the matter, but well, I, not necessarily, I think the grandkid might say, "Who's Justin Bieber?" You're you're right. The, the exactly. grandkid will probably like laser eyes because they're a small child. But I don't know. I feel like Providence does something to the value of the thing, even if it's hard to to define the premium that it places on it. I think just by virtue of the fact that that this ape is owned by Justin Bieber, that makes it a little bit more desirable than in equivalently projected price ape that isn't owned by Justin Bieber.
3: One quick question, Cam. I had uh, maybe changed the subject a little bit. I mean, so Bored Apes has sort of belonged in a special super category of NFTs, right? This was said to be a franchise that could have real mainstream appeal. There was going to be some blockbuster movie made in Hollywood, and they were going to have this and that and that and that. Do you think this precipitous fall in value will uh, put Board Apes sort of back in the pack, you know, with with all the other failed NFT collections, or do you think it's still going to retain that status?
1: I mean, didn't they already do that when they released a game literally called Dookie Dash? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm sorry, but you had to think audience here. Obviously, board apes have this celebrity appeal, and they have for a long time, and we've seen a lot of prominent people invest in them. But the overall strategy of Yuga Labs has not really gone in this mainstream direction that we've expected, or at least that I personally thought it would. I think that there is a lot of value behind the Board Apeat Club. There still is. It's a very large, very prominent collection. There are also a lot of generative art collections out there that are worth quite a bit more. For example, Dmitry Cherniak's The Ringers, which The Goose, which is one of the most famous pieces from that collection, which was owned by failed hedge fund Three Arrows Capital, was recently sold in the Sotheby's auction for $6.2 million. Now, the Ringer's floor price is above 40 ETH, which is... What is that? Uh, sorry, I can't, can't do the math on the spot. But is... 40 ETH floor price. I mean, that's a lot. And that's for a piece of art. I think that people are tending towards this direction of digital art versus these projects that are meant to you know, attract some type of weird gaming culture or entertainment use case i don't know i mean that's what i'm seeing lately so
3: um if you want to put the number in it's about seventy-five thousand dollars 40
2: ETH. i refuse to do math on this show so i will not participate
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right well like i always say weird nft things weird crypto stuff you never know who's gonna release a token next with that being said hope you all are enjoying your summer if you have any feedback for us please leave us a comment leave us a review And keep on listening. All right, that was Carpe Consensus. We will catch you next week. Bye, Ben. Bye, Danny.
3: Bye, Cam. Bye, Danny. Bye.
1: Carpe Consensus is a Coindesk production. Executive produced by Jared Schwartz and produced and edited by Eleanor Paul. Have any questions or comments? Email us at podcasts at coindesk.com. Subject line, Carpe Consensus.